You're listening to a Whales Are Whales production. You're also listening to Whales. Visit whalesorwhales.com for more projects and shows like this one. Hello there. Today we're going to be discussing part one through three of The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak. If you want to be able to follow our discussion more closely and not have anything spoiled for you, feel free to pick up this book and read it yourself at any place they sell books these days. There should be plenty. Welcome to Third Person, a podcast about sharing our love for and conversations about storytelling and fiction. I'm Brian, your host, and joining me are my two co-hosts, one of which is my brother, Stephen. Hello, Stephen. Hello. How many times have we been co-hosts before? I don't even know. Um, but man, I'm excited to be here. It's, it's episode two. Yes. Of the podcast. Sure. And it is our first uh, book episode for the season. Um, yes. Our first book ever. We've actually never read a book before. Um, so this is going to be it's interesting. Learning, learning how to read was a. Was so I've a, never read books before. How did you graduate college? Um, we don't like to talk about that, Abigail. Oh, sorry. I know it's a source of bad memories. Uh, and yes, you're <laughs> our other co-host, Abigail. How are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. Just fine. Slow internet, but just fine. Just fine. That's good to hear. Uh, Stephen, I actually never asked how you were, did I? Uh, I don't think so. But, how are you? No one cares. Uh, to. To preemptively uh, fill you in, I'm doing swell. Good. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's enough about that. Um, this is actually going to be, as we said, our first time ever doing this format about books. So it's going to be a lot of experimental stuff. It's not very rigid on how we're outlining what our discussions are going to be yet. We've got some ideas and we're going to try, just keep trying things and keep what works and burn horribly <coughs> anything that doesn't. Um, I'm not really sure if we should be using it, like the the burning illusion when talking about books. See, I thought it was thematic. Um, um <laughs> well, it's really depends what you're going for. Yeah. Uh, but either way, I think you're exactly right. Um, we we have gone through a lot of planning uh, processes. Uh, processes. Not really Process sure what the plural is for that. We'll learn that when we start to read books. Exactly. Um, so that's what happens. But, you learn words. That's mm -hmm. why reading's good for you, which we probably discussed in the last podcast, which I don't actually remember anyone ever bringing up. That's a fair I point. I think we, I said it was episode two, so that implies episode one. Yes. <laughs> we're being uh, subtle, yes, Abigail. <laughs> I, I meant the uh, the comment about how reading makes you learn things anyway. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Whatever. Okay, fair enough. Um, and <laughs> I would, we, we kind of gone back and forth on how to actually structure this podcast, and I think what we finally decided on is just keep it loose and just talk about it and we'll figure something out well the most um, important all... thing about this whole podcast is not you know that we're reading books it's not um that we're awesome people it's not any of these very important but non-essential facts the main thing is we just want to share our conversations about fiction and one of the best right. ways we thought to do that is you know i'll read a book and then just start talking about it um mm -hmm. and a quick aside no abigail we can't hear any music in the background you're good thank you <laughs> anyway um, that was awkward <laughs> so let's see where was i oh yeah so really we're just experimenting with the best ways to bring these conversations we're already having to everyone in the most informative uh, efficient and fun manner so 
we thought a great way to start out doing that would all be reading a book together and then discussing it and arguing about, you know, whether a period should be used there or not. Um, so the first book we decided to go with was suggested to us by the wonderful Abigail, who happens coincidentally to be here today. Uh, why, why don't you talk a little bit about, about why you chose this book and what this book is even about? I chose this book for a couple of reasons. Uh, first, it was recommended on the podcast Writing Excuses, which I listened to religiously. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they mentioned it was good, and they are usually right. So I looked into it. It was also recommended to me by my roommate, who said it was really good. Um, and then the last reason would just be it's it's been on my list for probably over a year now. So it was at the top of my list of books to read. So I went, hey, let's read this one. Gotcha. So that is why we're reading this book. Um, what it's about, it is a story about a young girl in Germany during, you know, Nazi, um, control in World War II. Um, it is very interesting though, and it's very different from the other young girl in Germany during Nazi Weirdly enough, that, that is a trope, yes. And yeah. uh, weirdly enough, the book I had finished just before this was a, about a girl living during World War II and collecting books. <laughs> so wow. I'm, I'm already in the right mindset. <laughs> <laughs> it works. But yeah, this book has been very, very an in interesting read so far, and I'm actually looking forward to diving into that. Awesome. So uh, with that said, let's go ahead and do that. What were all of your uh, initial impressions after reading through this first part of the book? Anything, uh, anything you want to share before we start heading into discussing the cast? Um, I would like to mention something. Sure. Um, I love to okay i i love stories about world war ii just because i think that's very interesting um but i especially love seeing a, a story about a character living during world war ii who is completely oblivious to everything that's happening around them right um so it's really interesting to be able to read through as a reader and say oh yeah this is happening and this is happening and this is terrible and whatnot that the character has absolutely no idea um, and this book, when, you know, reading through it reminded me of a movie that I'd seen recently, which was actually also a book beforehand, um, The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's a similar story about a young child growing up in Germany, a German child who knows nothing about what's happening around him. Um, and this is just kind of echoing back to that. And so I'm very intrigued, and I'm looking forward to seeing how much she actually finds out and how involved she gets. Yeah, that's a fair point. It's easy when you're living through history to not really know that it's happening. Um, we do that every day. Yeah, yeah. We're probably right now. Someone's going to make a book about podcasters during the Great um, Great War of the Buffaloes that we're completely unaware of going on right now. Um, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, it's it's interesting also because it's set in Germany and it's not a an oppressed minority in any particular way that mm -hmm. the main character, at least up until this point, and I see that kind of you know about to change, but we'll go into that later. Mm -hmm. She's not really affected directly by what's going on. Um, to the same extent that most people in a World War II setting would be. That Well, that's a good point. And I think what adds a layer of complexity on top of that is that the narrator mm -hmm. knows everything that's going on. I mean, death is kind of tallying up every single death. Right. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, he kind of keeps alluding but, to things that are going on in the in the broader world. That is one of my favorite things about the way that they're telling the stories. Like every other paragraph, he's like mentioning, oh, until this happens in the future. And then you're like, what? What? What happened in the future? No, I have to keep reading. I have to see this happen. This <laughs> is a very interesting way to tell the story. That's, yeah, that's a really good point. So, Stephen, do you have any uh, first impressions, positive, negative, just your general thoughts about this book so far? 
Um, well, leading right off from that discussion point we were just talking about, mm-hmm. um, I enjoy the juxtaposition between the main character, Liesl, and the narrator of death. Mm-hmm. because one can has an, an, an extremely limited view of the world um she has you know she's just a a child and no one's telling her anything and then there's death who sees everything that happens more mm-hmm. or less at least when it comes to people dying which kind of happened a lot during that period um that. yeah but neither of them are particularly invested in world war Two. Mm-hmm. they don't really care like in the same way that other people care they they don't care in the same way that other books care Mm -hmm. um they don't really talk about the battles or the shifts or they don't talk about tuning into the radio and listening to some you know important announcement they're just kind of living their lives and watching them end in various uh locations so that's one thing i really liked about it right um of course when i first started off you you had told me that that the narration was kind of the selling point of the Mm -hmm. book um, and I, I think I agree with you. It's super weird. It's way out there. It's hard to follow. Um, but uh, it's almost it's almost like you have to um, you got to do a lot of reading between the lines, right? Yes, there are a lot of double meanings. A lot of death speaks in colors, and I just love that. Um, maybe because I tend to think in colors a little bit as well. I guess I'm like death. So Whoa. my first, <laughs> oops, did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I really liked it when I first started reading it, even though I, I did think to myself, if they keep this up through the whole book, this almost purple prose, if they keep this up to the end, will I be able to stand it? Can you write a whole book like this? <laughs> and if they don't, uh, will will the author lose what makes his book special and just focus on just another, you know, kid growing up story? Yeah, consistency so. is so key for how he's writing this sort of thing. Uh, how do you think he's done so far? Um, hey, you want to be mean to be honest? Not very well. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I kind I, of don't. Can we, like, edit that out? Okay, <laughs> fantastic. Just perfect. Exactly. This you is... can buy The Book Thief on Amazon now. They um, should make a book about the movie. It's so good. A book about the movie? Wait, a book about the movie about the book? Yes. <laughs> All right, no, really. Continue with what you're saying. You're saying you don't think it was uh, staying very consistent. Yeah. Um. I mean, I know I'm kind of giving you a torrent of words and jumping around a lot, Um. but the book does it too. <laughs> so it really does. Give me, give me a, a break. Fair enough. Um, yeah, early on, it was all about the um the wordscape right it was you you felt everything rather than saw it you wondered what is he talking about who are these people everything was almost in a fog through the perspective of death and slowly but surely that slipped away until at this point i feel like i just have kind of a uh, a witty narrator who uh-huh. some who will go into you know deathy things sometimes like abigail like you said taking us on a little asides looking into the future looking into the past it's still very good and interesting but a lot of the book is taken up with Liesl's day-to-day, you know, relationships. Mm-hmm. And she's taking the laundry out now. And um, it's a good, it's a perfectly good story, but uh, uh, it's starting to lose the magic, I think, mm-hmm. c- coming up to the end of the, the first part. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, and I think that it's something that kind of happened as soon as, if you remember, at the beginning, Death was, the first few anecdotes are from his personal experience. Like he was literally there watching the events unfold. Yes. Then it seems like he found her diary and is piecing together mm-hmm. what the story was. 
Maybe that's... Well, I think it's a mixture of the two mm-hmm. from how I'm reading it. Because he'll talk about how she writes about something in the future. He's like, oh, her words on topic were this. But I think he's still coming from the, like, watching her kind of standpoint as well. Right. Do you feel that Death is a reliable narrator? That's interesting. That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like he gets... <laughs> personally invested in this story but i also don't feel like he has any reason to lie to us he seems like he yeah. has a fairly good head on his shoulders he's a realist he's death <laughs> of yeah. course he's a realist that's a that's Absolutely. a fair point um and he's definitely not phased by anything for sure yeah um and we kind of just naturally transitioned into it but i was going to start this off by talking about all the cast and let's go ahead and start with death while we're already on this topic uh that was going to be one of my primary questions Stephen. is mm-hmm. is is death just guessing did he actually see any of this is he omniscient like what what is his actual scope of it as a narrator or does that really matter like does that is it inconsistent i would love to read the beginning of the book again right um because i was very much laser focused on trying to figure out what was going on right uh, when it first started trying to figure out um, how literal this was and how much of it was just a figurative metaphor right. or, or whatever. Um, and uh, like I said, that slipped away to the point where I just kind of got invested in the characters. I wasn't paying so much attention mm-hmm. to the narrator anymore. So I'm sure I'm missing lots of things. Well, something that's um, important, I believe, in the beginning, and I check, went back to check this as I was confused where the narration was going, is Death said, I saw, um, I saw Lisa three times. And then describe each of the three times he'd been there to see her personally. And that implied to me he never saw her other than those three times. That's a really good point. I totally missed that. Right. So he's do everything else he's doing seems weirdly omniscient for him. He's she couldn't have written this much detail in her biography. So is he making the rest of it up, or does he have some like supernatural uh author slash death uh view into this sort of thing? I have no idea, and I'm notorious for just the first time I read a book, I usually just get the 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 story, right? right. Like mm-hmm. I understand what is going on. I don't understand why it's going on. Uh-huh. Second time, I I like pick up on like the the maybe some of the metaphors, some of the um the meanings. Third time, I start to get behind the obvious meanings and start really figuring out what what there is to find. Right. But could you go um, read it a couple more times, real quick? Yeah, okay, I'll be right back. <laughs> we'll talk while you're gone. Um, but no, I actually, that actually brings to light. So in regards to what Death knows um, and how this book is formatted, this book has a very interesting format. I don't know what it looks like in the paper copy, but it mm-hmm. looks very interesting on my Kindle. Right. Um, basically, every once in a while, he'll stop the story and he'll pull up like a little like a like a, a note it's like in bold and it's yep. like you know a conversation between Liesl and rudy or something like that and it'll have something um something just really quick snippet and so thinking about this idea that you know death said oh i saw her three times and yet he's telling us in such detail um it brings to my mind the idea that you know perhaps he is reading through her diary and you know the thought process of well what if those little snippets are from her diary um, you know, just little things that she did write down. He's making up the story in between. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true. I doubt that's true, but that'd be really kind of a cool idea to tell a story that way. Right. Um, because, you know, he has the hard facts. He knows what happens. And so, you know, he knows what happens in the future as well. So he's maybe postulating as to what would have happened in between these two points. 
Yeah, that's, be a really interesting thought. That's interesting. I always had the um, the impression that those asides were kind of like Death's editorial notes because he's mm-hmm. often bringing in facts outside of her purview of knowledge to like oh, talk about what ended up happening to a character that she knew or defining what a word means to the audience. Like this is what this mm-hmm. term word means. Um, but I do agree with you that maybe what's going on here is Death is basically being a storyteller and found a diary and decided to take creative liberties and write a story about this person because he's so, for some reason, so fascinated with that person. Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes you wonder uh, if this is, if there aren't multiple deaths, if they don't take death shifts and there's just this one right. sky black, <laughs> I mean, he doesn't have the, the scythe or anything. He's just like this, this being that we don't understand. If he's spending this much time becoming obsessed with a single human, it, like, it, has he done this before is there going to be a sequel where he finds someone else and writes their story like yeah i mm. i don't know what's going on yet to be maybe he exists outside of time so i'm sure he does yeah. i mean yeah, if he's dead he has to yeah he he descends and you know hangs out with people as they ascend or wherever they're going and that would kind of explain the whole you know he's he's very he doesn't seem to be bound by time when telling the story which is, you know, a fair point that would actually support that. He's talking, you know, this happened, this happened. Um, but, you know, she didn't know that this was going to happen in the future, but to him it's already happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's unclear, we'll say. And it's not something they necessarily expect to be cleared up by the end of it. I mean, Probably I think, not. I think he's kind of going for that uh, sense of mystery with, in terms of Death's role. Death is more of a way for him to get an interesting narrative voice for this whole story. Um, so speaking of which, yeah. what do you think about death makes him a good narrator, or do you even think he is a good narrator for the story? I like his voice, mm-hmm. and I like his witty asides, and he has some really good, um, he has some very quotable lines. Yes. I wish that I had taken the time to write some of those down, but I remember finishing <laughs> up my piece last night, and he just, like, said this one thing that just, like, struck me, and I was like, oh! That's so true. Um, so I really, really like him as a narrator. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Sometimes he gets a little purple. He definitely started out the book very purple. Okay, so um, quick question. What do yeah. you guys mean by purple? I'm not I'm not <laughs> familiar with this. Purple prose is like when you have flowery yeah, prose that okay. is drawing more attention to itself than to the story. Gotcha. Um, yes. So a good example in my mind would be Fahrenheit 365 or whatever that, okay. that book is called. 501, I don't know. Some number. Yeah, it was number. I usually purple. preheat my oven to 450. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, nobody's read that book. It's not a classic or anything. Um, but yeah, anyway, so... He starts out the book very, you know, flowery. He's like, these are my words, and they are important, and you should pay attention to them in the way that I am saying them. Um, but as the story goes on, I agree with Stephen that he kind of loses that and follows Liesel, um on a day-to-day. And I will say that I am personally very glad for that because I hate purple prose. <laughs> um, so honestly, when I started the book, I was just going, oh, well, how, how good is – I mean, it's interesting, but how good is this really going to be? Mm-hmm. Um, in my mind, a book is best when you can forget about the narrator and – focus on the characters mm-hmm. um but in this case it's very much like the hobbit where the narrator is part of the story and he'll say these witty things that make you laugh and remember that he's there mm-hmm. but then he'll immediately just go back into his you know normal speech and you forget he's there again and you're focusing more on right. the characters and so i and kind of like that interesting I, aside uh steven was closest it is fahrenheit fahrenheit 451 <laughs> wow that's that's like the exact that temperature book. i use to bake my oven fries are your books made of paper oh god <laughs> <Not your oven. laughs> 
whatever. <laughs> Your book's made out. of paper. That's <laughs> the whole point of the book. He's burning books. Yeah. The, All right, Stephen, whatever. you monster. Okay. Uh, so back to Abigail's point she was making. It's interesting because I had slightly the opposite reaction. I'm wondering if you're the same, Stephen, where I was reading the beginning and I was like really struck by it. Like I know it was kind of overly flowery, but it got my attention. And probably the thing that turns me off from books the most is when I feel like I'm just reading the same story I've read before. Uh, and it's just like, okay, I'll just wait for it to wrap up. The same plot has told me that it's uh, that I've already been told ten times before. This is like, you know, especially bad with YA or something like that. Mm. Is you know, you can do don't this. knock YA. Well, it can be bad with it for sure. <laughs> in that it's this, yeah, absolutely, I agree. The same character and the same plot and the same thing you've seen before. And what I liked about that introduction of his prose is, while it may have been over the top, I had not read that before. Um, it is not something I could have said. You know, this is just like Hunger Games because uh, it's not. Uh, it was a very different way of writing and a very different narrative voice, but I think it could have gotten overwhelming later on. What do you think, Stephen? Well, I um, I might be a little closer to you, but I also agree with Abigail in the way sense to be that diplomatic. Uh, hey, oh, I agree with Abigail I, too, but I just don't okay. agree with you. <laughs> We're all hmm. <laughs> this is a logic puzzle. Exactly. <laughs> no, I. I at first, I was a bit annoyed by it, like Abigail was. Uh-huh. And Brian had really talked it up, and I'm like, okay, every other paragraph is awesome, but every other paragraph is just kind of too much, like getting under my skin. Like, really? Just, mm-hmm. okay, you know how to put words in an order. You can spell things correctly. I, I get it. Um, but as time went on, I became a little bit uh, fascinated with this death character. And as he started hovering around this girl, I had this sinking feeling like we were going to get less and less of death and more and more of Liesl. Um And that's exactly what happened at the point where death is a backdrop and Liesl's by far what, is what you're thinking about 99% of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of disappointing to me because I think death is a way more interesting character than Liesl. Liesl's good. Um, I mean, it seems like a really good book, but like I said, I just read a World War II story about um, a girl who collects books, and I think that book was better, um, story-wise. It was called All the Light We Cannot See. Really recommend it. Um, I'm not saying this book, these are both great books, but I think what makes this one stand out is the, the whole death thing, the whole narrator thing. So I would like them to to capitalize on that more, mm-hmm. to give us more of that feeling, more of those strange colors, seeing things in an alien way through this death character, not just a witty narrator. Um, Something to bring up, I have a feeling in my mind, um, not anywhere else, just my mind, mm. um, but no, I have this feeling that that is probably going to end up playing in a little bit later. Yeah. Because um, right now she's still practically in the beginning of the war. Um, and, you know, they just did their first, like book Bernie thingy and she was there for that um and I think as time goes on like I think it's getting closer and closer to her family being in jeopardy um because they are hinting at her stepfather or her foster father Hans um they're they're hinting at some illegal activity that he's going to be involved in in the future um at least I assume you know against the Nazis um because we already know he doesn't he doesn't support them. Yeah, I mean, the, though, you know. the book is really clear that they're going to start hiding a Jew. I mean, that's yeah, going to be the plot. That's um, going to be the plot. And I think it's going to get a lot more interesting once that happens because there's going to be this threat 
on them the whole mm-hmm. time, and I have a feeling the Death's character is going to play up a lot more. Yeah, I hope. Or it could be, you know, Death just gets even more caught up in the plot. Um, I mean, we'll have to see where it goes, but I wonder if it would be interesting if the book focused a little more on making Death kind of have his own narrative arc in terms of ex- you understanding why this, of all people, is important to him. Or maybe delving more into his psyche in terms of why this story even matters. Because, you know, at first he kind of talks a little bit about that. And then he just goes on to tell the story. And you kind of have to wonder, like, why this story instead of any other story? Mm -hmm. Would Death be interested and invested in this? And I wonder if that I don't think we're going to learn about that until the very end, honestly. Yeah. Well, I think my problem with that is then why do we have to go through a whole quote-unquote normal story about a girl who makes friends and Rudy becomes her best friend and she has to get along with her you know her foster parents and all this stuff that's perfectly serviceable and entertaining and sometimes heartwarming and well-written but doesn't I mean, maybe this could have just been a short story with more death. (laughs) That is actually what most English professors say about papers. (laughs) Shorter and more death. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh that's so true true truism we need to have like uh, a uh a, a truism um a little jingle or something All that sound thing, like, yeah, yeah that's that's pretty good uh but no i get your point and i think um i i think it's the question it, the author obviously thinks this story is worth telling and using death as a vehicle and i think we kind of read it as death is worth telling and the story is a vehicle Um, and that's how Stephen, I think you and I were kind of going into this book and why we liked it more early on is we were more invested in how the story could kind of, uh, flesh out this narrator and this interesting storytelling as opposed to, um, what actually seems to be happening, which is how the storyteller can kind of add some flavor to this story that he thinks is really good. So moving on to the protagonist of this story, uh, we go into our second character, Liesl, um, and so let's let's talk a little bit about her. She, to me, seems like a very common protagonist. You know, small girl mm-hmm. in Nazi Germany. Her one kind of lifeline or thing she's always obsessed with is books. Does anything set her apart for you guys? And if so, what is that? Um, I think it's that she's weird and rough around the edges. Okay. To me, it's that she'll do something completely unexpected or something that even you will just be like, don't, don't do, don't do that. Are you saying you wouldn't pummel someone nearly to death? Probably like she has an edge to her. She's she's um been through some rough things, but it doesn't make her withdrawn. It just makes her um sometimes it makes her just angry or um gives her kind of a good sense of humor in a weird way Mm -hmm. because she has to just kind of deal with all of these difficult or annoying people around her. Right. Um so I like that about her. Uh Uh-huh. What do you think, Abigail? I think one of the interesting things to me about Liesl is um, I was actually surprised when I started the book and found out she couldn't read. <laughs> and I was like, it's, it's called The Book Thief. You can't read? Um, and so I think it's interesting, like, the development of why she loves books and how that's come about, because I think that's a very interesting reason to love something. Like, mm-hmm. she doesn't just love books. I almost feel like it's a... a like a sickness that she has right um she can't stop because of the traumatic things that have happened to her you know the first book she found was at her little brother's funeral right um and you know when she learned to read it it was in the night after she'd had waking nightmares her foster father was there um and so these touching moments of her learning to read 
um, and going through that process. And then, you know, once she's finished that first really lame book that she had, she just had to have more. Right. Um, and I think that's probably the, the compelling thing that keeps me reading about her. Cause I just think that's very interesting. She doesn't just love books. She can't not love books. Like yeah. it's just ingrained in who she is. That's an interesting point. I really did love that touch of how, like, they started reading that first book and it was the most boring, like, useless <laughs> thing you can read. Um, this is how you bury a body. <laughs> well, exactly. it also I mean, it'd be reminds, useful for me, but I don't know about Liesl. It really reminds me of being a kid who wasn't allowed to own video games. Oh, uh, yeah. And so when the, the Chex Blaster CD-ROM game comes in my cereal box and oops it's a video game we didn't buy it might as well play it right parents like well, okay fine whatever that little game was this incredible event and we would play through everything mm -hmm. and see things with fresh eyes and it would just be an amazing historical thing um now far far in the future I have access to any video game I want at any time, hundreds of them. Um, they're, they're cheap, they're digital, they're everywhere. I've played so many. I can never view games like that again. Right. Mm -hmm. um, that's what it felt like. To me, that's how Liesl saw books because they were weirdly forbidden. I mean, not just yeah. the fact that there was that, that scary, morbid memory of the book in the snow, um, but she's never allowed to have them. The Nazis are burning them. Um, right. it's, it's frowned upon. And so when she finds that, like that, sh that, that shrine of filled with books and the, uh, I don't remember what her name is, but the mayor's wife, mm -hmm. um, like that's not your typical, oh, it's a library where you can truly learn because you love to learn. And it's just who you are. It's almost like this forbidden garden of things. She does not understand these strange tomes filled with weird ideas. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, so what do you think her motivations are? Like through the story, is it just all books? Is that really what she's honestly right now? I think she's just trying to get by. Yeah, I agree. I think she she's doesn't just have life. anything, and she doesn't have anything to live for. Honestly, she's a little kid. She's ignorant. She's in a sucky situation. She knows her mom abandoned her. So I mean, I honestly, in that situation, I can't imagine thinking much of myself. Uh -huh. I wouldn't think that I was worth very much. I would love certain people. I wouldn't necessarily be suicidal or anything because I'm only 11. Mm -hmm. But I don't think she really has anything to live for or anything that's driving her besides just the day-to-day, -day, I'm hungry, let's go steal an apple. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think she is, you know, just kind of piecing together a childhood from what she has. Mm -hmm. um, so, so she'll attach on the things that can give her some, some meaning or some comfort. Like, uh, like she has a piece of candy that she has to share with a friend. She yeah. has a book about burying bodies that she loves to sit up and read with her father at night or her, 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 her you know, her foster father. Like you're right, Abigail. It's like stitched together from classic childhood memories that she never got to really have. Right. Right. It's really kind of heartbreaking now. I'm yeah. Now, now we're making this sound really sad. Uh, it is sad though. It's really sad. Yeah. But it's like, it's not tragic. Yeah, well, because she's a kid. She doesn't know anything different. Right. And it's like, it, nothing terrible is happening. It's just kind of bad the whole time. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. it's not a great situation. But again, Darn Nazis. Um, there are much worse situations people are going through, such as the character mm -hmm. that was uh, just introduced at the end of all this. Yeah, um, Max, right? Yes, Max. So uh, one last thing I was going to ask about uh, Liesl is, do you think she's changed much 
so far because it's been it's only a third of the book yeah i know but it's been what three years i've i've been trying to track actual time that is i mean yes she definitely has yeah from when we first saw her i think she's just continuing to get um more competent and more exploratory and uh closer to getting into true trouble yeah i agree with that i think i I was just curious where you saw her arc going and i think that's really just gaining confidence so far is really what she's needed to have because she started with pretty much none i just i don't think it's going to be very long before lisa was no longer satisfied with her life oh yeah she's coming to the point where she can make her own decisions she started out the book as a little kid and everyone's Mm -hmm. doing everything for her she can't do anything but now she's going off on her own. She's making her own decisions. She's not always making the right decisions. Right. Um, she still obviously has some kind of a conscience that's guiding her. But I, I think it's interesting in that she is definitely growing up. Uh-huh. And her ability to comprehend the world is changing with her age, which is really nice to see. Gotcha. And okay, so do you guys think Liesel makes a good protagonist? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I I'm not like protagonist of the, of the year, isn't yeah, it's not protagonist <laughs> of the year. The yeah, the uh, the protagies. She's not going to win. The <laughs> she's still she's still in the first half of the book where it's reaction. Um, we have not hit the midpoint yet, so right. there's really no like, you know. I mean, like driving forward anything yet. Right. So I can't really answer as far as how good of a protagonist. Yeah, protagonist she is right now. Yeah. So I I agree with Abigail. I think she. She has room to grow, but maybe that's what bothers me about it. I've just read so many stories where you just have to trudge through the semi-interesting, really long-winded childhood adventures. Yeah, even some of the best books. um, I remember a particular book, Stephen. It was uh, Patrick Rothfuss's books. What was that first one called? Was it Name of the Wind? Name of the Wind. Wind. That was the first one? Okay, yeah. It tricked you. It tricked you by, and it's like, oh, how clever. It made you think it was going to be boring, but it wasn't. That's not clever. That's just boring at first and then not boring. Yeah, (laughs) it went on forever. (laughs) Uh, I mean, Name of the Wind is a phenomenal book, one of my favorite fantasy books, but you had to go through the childhood stuff. Yeah. And oftentimes Mm -hmm. that's just, you know, you just hear, it's, it's just like everyone has to tell Tom Sawyer, but with less, um, wit, uh, less wit and and um impressive prose i don't know it's like yeah top horror was actually good all the way through (laughs) yeah it actually was it it just you know it's the the kids scrounging the they make their friends there's probably a bully somewhere you know it's just Mm -hmm. although in this case i guess liesel is the bully so well there was a bully no there's definitely a bully that just triggered her yeah Yeah. (laughs) she ended up being tougher than the bully which was kind of an interesting thing yeah that was nice to see Mm -hmm. so um again it's very well written i i enjoyed almost all of it um well to but me it, it continues to go back to i enjoyed like the storytelling more than the story so far mm-hmm. and i think liesel's an extension of that is the way she's framed and the way he uh death brings in elements and talks about the way she's thinking and uh alludes to certain things to me is more interesting than you know a child is growing up in germany during nazi occupation or not mm-hmm. occupation but nazi yeah if death wasn't there for sure it would be super boring yeah so i think she should could be a better protagonist thing because think of how good this story would be if it was a great story being told by death instead of just a kind of passable story um but let's move on to a character that i think is actually quite interesting so far and definitely has a lot of room to grow hans huberman who is liesel's foster father 
He's um, you knew right away that he was going to be the character that you liked, the character that Lisa mm-hmm. liked, and the the link to remind you that the world isn't terrible. So the question is, when are they going to make it really, really sad when he dies? Uh, probably plot turn two for sure. <laughs> near the end of <laughs> the second watched. part. Oh, I'm sorry, pinch two. Excuse <laughs> me. Is he going to get... pinch two right after the midpoint? It's going to be in like. The, the the transition from Act 2 to Act 3, Hans is going to die. It's because he's going to be away from <laughs> home and sending letters home because he's out in the military now? Is he going to get drafted? I don't think he's going to get drafted. Would he's he, old. Would he join up for some reason, though? Who knows? There are well, lots of well, things here's that the could... thing. Hans Huberman has applied to the Nazi party several yeah. times now, and they are not accepting him. That's a good point. For, and we don't know why yet, but we know that everyone knows that he will never be accepted. And that's really interesting. Uh, I love seeing the social Nazi pressures around there. I find yeah. that whole thing of just everyone, you know, being like, come on, it's it's progress. It's the thing to do is to be a Nazi. If you're not a Nazi, you're kind of ostracized, which yeah. is kind of the opposite today. If you're a Nazi, I'm a, sorry, you're going to be kind of ostracized. <laughs> well, see, something that's interesting to me, bringing that up, like the social aspect of it, um, just seeing how the characters interact, like when the kids walk in someplace, oh, uh, yeah. you know, they went in to, see, to get their candy and the lady wouldn't serve them until they, you know, Heil Hitler. Yep. And I'm like, oh, that's that's weird. They did that before they talked to anyone. That's so strange. Right. Like, I never would have thought of that. So I do like seeing that personal touch there. I, I totally agree. Um, so what do you guys think of Hans? Do you like him? Oh, of course you like him, but you think he's a good character? <laughs> <laughs> he's a very good character. Yeah, I he's agree. He's super compelling. He has quirks. Um, you know, I like that he's very selfless and that he's trying to teach his foster daughter of all people. He's trying to teach this girl who's not even related to him how to read. Mm-hmm. And he himself can't read past the third grade. Right. Um, <laughs> that was so good. It's a lot of like undefined moments like that, that I think make Hans a good character. Yeah. Um, and it, he's not just cut and dry. He isn't half this or half that. He isn't like this or alternatively like that. Right. He, he is smart, but not, you know, intelligent, well, in, not educated. Intelligent. He's not educated, but not, but he can read, but only yeah. to a certain point. If you talk about he the is, story being colors, he's a lot of grays, like exactly he's a yeah. lot, a little bit of a lot of things. He's kind of plays the accordion. He kind of paints. He kind of does and a like, lot of he's, different things. He's nice. It's like, oh, he's the the one that will teach Liesel good morals, but you know, then he just gets really mad and yells at his wife, and it's just like, ah. <laughs> it's like he can be grumpy too. He right. he has depth to him. It feels like the author right. just had this person in his mind. Something and, uh, about him that really struck me, and the thing that honestly made him the most real character, um, is that he has not chosen sides. Um, for himself. And I right. think this is where a lot of people are. And I'm thinking of putting myself in his shoes. I'm a father of a family and I live in Nazi Germany. Um, I can see, you know, what the Nazi party is doing and say, hey, that doesn't really make sense to me. You know, he obviously doesn't understand the, the scope of everything, but he himself hasn't seemed to really decide or take a stance for or against. He's still applying to be part of the Nazi party because he knows that it's going to bring security to his family, but he obviously doesn't sympathize with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like seeing that because I'm just going, oh, that's exactly what I would do. I would want to put my family first and say, this is what's going to make you safe, but I don't even know who these jokers are and what they're doing and why these books are bad. Right. Um, and, you know, a couple of different things like that. So I think his uncertainty and the fact that he hasn't chosen sides is really compelling. <laughs> yeah, he's I think doing it kind what he can to get by. Makes yeah. you... I think it makes you immediately attracted to the character simply because 
he doesn't know what he's doing and is honest about it. Well, it reminds yeah. me of how Joss Whedon goes about writing adults, especially adults in shows that are focused on characters. And for people who don't know, Joss Whedon is a writer mostly of TV shows, but also of the Avengers, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, Firefly, etc. Um, so he, something he has always taken care of with adults is to give them their own arcs. Like they are not just, I grew up, I went through my arcs when I was young, now I am this thing. Like, if you look mm-hmm. at the adult mm-hmm. characters in his shows, they're struggling with things just as much as, you know, the, the teenager characters or whatever. And that's what I think really works about Hans is a lot of the characters feel like, you know, they just have their place in life and they're there. And they're just kind of props for Liesel to act against. But Hans has his own character arc going on, even though he's already, you know, an established adult in the world. Mm-hmm. I actually like his arc a lot more than Liesel's. Me too. <laughs> and I wish that I could see more of it. And I think it's interesting that we can't. Um, mm-hmm. Because we are seeing it from Liesel's perspective. And she gets a glimpse of who he is every once in a while. I think she's still trying to piece him together. Yeah. Um, which is one thing that's keeping me reading. I, I care about Hans. Right. Cool. Yeah, because if I'm remember, remembering correctly, it's a, all of our memories a little bit faded because this podcast was mostly recorded after we read most of the book like a couple weeks ago but i remember there was some plot uh he like hatched a plan right after the book burning mm-hmm. and has it been revealed what that even was yet i think he bought no, a copy of mind comp mm-hmm. um so i'd be interested to see what that ends up being i'm really excited I, it sounds kind of like a stick it to him kind of plot exactly like he's kind <laughs> I'm really of looking forward to it. <laughs> i just really hope that haunts is not used it, all of this all these little complexities all of these qualities of the character I hope they're not all used to be thrown away in a moment of drama to then propel Liesel. Mm-hmm. Um, just with a, the expected death scene. I would love for him to continue living his life alongside Liesel or not alongside Liesel, but to be more than something that just affects Liesel. Yeah, to feel you know? like a person is just a plot piece, for sure. Yes. Uh, and, I mean, it could really go either way at this point. They've definitely built him up to where he feels like he exists outside of this story arc as a person. I can tell you, I'm, he's he's definitely going to be the initiator. So whatever deep plot Liesl gets herself into, he's going to be the star of it. Yeah, yeah, I kind of agree with you. It either is she's going to do something to help him, or, you know, because mm-hmm. he decided to help a Jew, that changes Liesl's, what exactly. Liesl's like doing. She's, yeah. I have a feeling she's probably going to end up, like, carrying on his work or something like that. Right. That's kind of how I'm seeing this going. Yeah, same here. Um, because... Honestly, it's partially just because, you know, he seems like an important character. It's also because there's no one else in the story who's going <laughs> anywhere. <Rudy>. I guess. <laughs> I'm, Rudy's probably going to get himself into trouble, and that's probably going to affect her, too. All right, let's talk about Rudy. Um, <laughs> Rudy Steiner. These are such German names. Um, Whoa, imagine that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, he is Liesel's friend. Uh, he was introduced pretty darn early and has kind of been sticking around since. Kind of the defining thing of him was... With, about when he was introduced is the fact that he ran around a racetrack pretending to be Jesse Owens. Um, mm-hmm. That was kind of the introduction to his uh, persona. What do you guys think about Rudy? Anything stand out about this character to you, or is he just kind of sidekick? He is in the process of developing a character. He mm-hmm. started as a sidekick. Yeah. Um, one of the most interesting things about Rudy to me is honestly like, Almost the same thing with Liesl. They're both obviously oblivious to what's going on, uh-huh. but he's probably more likely to get in trouble for that. 
Um, cause you know, he, he painted himself completely black <laughs> and then ran around a racetrack <laughs> in Nazi Germany. <laughs> yeah. That's not really the smartest thing to do. Um, <laughs> and so it just goes to show how, like, it was really great to see the scene between him and his dad. Yes. When his dad was chastising him for what he was doing. And he's like, um, but Jesse's fast. He's really cool. He didn't even, he didn't even notice, I mean, the color of his skin to the most part. You know, he didn't see anything different. The kids don't, you know, see anything different between the Jews who were on the one street who are now gone and their parents. Uh -huh. um, and he's kind of been the, the force to bring that uh, viewpoint into the story. It's mostly mm -hmm. been through his eyes that we've seen that. Right. Um, so I really like that about his character. He honestly sees everyone for who they are, not for what label they have. Yeah, that's a good point. It's that uh, he's very blunt. So blunt. As opposed to Lisa, who's very kind of secretive and indrawn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very subtle. Lisa's a subtle character. Right. Uh, all of her words are carefully crafted. I think it's kind of cool that they're both, you know, but they're both, you know, rambunctious in that way. Yeah. They don't mm -hmm. really contrast each other as much as, well, of course, they're going to hang out together. They're exactly the same in so many ways. <laughs> Um, and I think that, yeah, he, uh, I think Rudy does kind of just fall into a bit of a psychic character. Mm -hmm. He does sort of perpetuate this childhood mischief story plot that we've heard so many times right mm -hmm. but at the same time he's know, a likeable has there been another story in which kids steal apples i mean that was that was kind of breaking the mold that was very um forward thinking exactly um, but that doesn't mean he's not a good character that doesn't mean he's not likable i think he's, he's definitely very likable i think what's going to be interesting is i don't i honestly don't know how many years this story is set up uh, set over but i think what rudy grows into could be a very interesting uh mm -hmm. very interesting thing to see oh i agree i think he's shaping up to be a really really strong man like he's going to be strong in his beliefs and he's not going to back down which right. is a really good thing to be in the time period that he's growing up it would be <laughs> interesting if he did all that and became a nazi though and oh, I now we're could... just going sound of music, man. <laughs> that could totally happen. I had I had the exact same feeling where whatever true. Rudy is going to become, he's going to be way into it mm -hmm. and just yeah. be. I don't know whether it's an activist or a soldier on the front lines. I feel like he's just going to um, believe in something, whether it's ridiculous or not. <laughs> it's... I mean, it's obvious mm -hmm. this book is going to be about um, about you know hiding a jew or the tension of nazi germany there's something interesting and i'm sure a book has done this is if there was a setup through nazi germany but the primary book took place after the war and after all of that and so it's it just totally might happen just about characters who developed during that time period and then what they're doing after instead of you know all being about that actual time period so i am finding myself wondering if they're gonna leave i, I think that there is gonna be an exodus at least from the street that they live on it's i hope <laughs> um, prob probably after her parents die <laughs> mm, that's possible um but i'm wondering if they're gonna end up going to another country or if they're gonna go further into the fight uh with nazi germany i'm kind of looking forward to that move it sounds like an act three kind of a plot point right um but we'll see yeah absolutely um so any last notes on rudy or should we move on to the uh, next character moving on all right rosa rosa uh is there i literally had no thing to say about rosa Who's Rosa? Foster mother of Lisa. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I always had nothing to say, too. Ah, uh, okay. She's just kind of there. Yeah. She I really is. I don't care She's about mean. Her. She's... I'm going to keep this clean and not call her what I was going to call her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. What's the word she uses? I don't want to look it up, but... 
Yeah, yeah. we don't want explicit if it was in German. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, I mean, she's. Like, uh, what? She's a foil, I guess. She's a. Yeah. I mean, she's definitely a foil to Hans in terms of being the opposite personality type. Yeah. When, when characters are like that, I always want to see, like, how and why they got married in the first happen? place. <laughs> yeah, she's she reminds me. I don't know if either of y'all ever read the Harry Potter series. Oh, but yeah, a little bit. She is so much like Aunt Petunia that I can't even stand it. Yeah, it's just oh, like, and yeah. that it's continuing that trend of orphan with step parents. You know, yeah. it's like that's something I appreciated about Hans is I know there's kind of two uh, two ways to go, which is like, you know, both mean step parents and one of your step parents is nice. But I was really appreciative that they made one of the step parents relatable and not just Lisa living with horrible people. Um, yes, which is one direction they could have taken it. Well, something you do notice about Rosa, though, she is mean, and she beats her, and she, you know, does whatever she does, but she also cares about her deeply. Yeah. Um, Which is interesting in that, just the way that she shows her affection, and you can see that how she relates to everyone. She calls her husband terrible names all the time, and always breaks him down. And she kind of does the same thing to Liesl, but she's also slaving away, caring for her, um, you know, she's the one who took her in in the first place. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, she obviously cares about her. It's almost just like she sees this as her lot in her life, and that's their lot in their life. And it's kind of mm-hmm. like a an unsaid deal they all made. It's like, yes, I care about you, but I never have to say that, but I'm going to do all the work. But in return, I get to belittle you all. Um, They're very German. Yeah. <laughs> Fair point. So moving on. Uh, we only actually have one primary character left here. And even so, he has not been primary in terms of how much... Uh, page time he's gotten and that is max vandenberg and he is the jew who has been in hiding and is just now at the end of these uh this first act here arriving at the um at the house i thought it was interesting how you know i just tried to break the book into thirds and really didn't have any synopsis or um uh table of conscience to go on until just (laughs) just about a third of the way through and it was like the perfect plot uh or cliffhanger like i can't i can't have imagined a better breaking point than the one we found um so yeah anything what did you glean from what they said about this character so far like can you get any idea of what his role is going to be or just what kind of person he is it's really hard to tell because he was just a panicky prisoner yeah so i don't know if that's his personality type or if that's just what he was driven to um Mm -hmm. in captivity there is an interesting line near the end where he is self-aware of his role to know enough that when he's coming here he's basically making these people mm-hmm. uh making their lives incredibly difficult it and kind just of, decides I to go in anyway the guilt that he felt. yeah it kind of reminds me of um the fault in our stars and the famous grenade line oh yeah mm-hmm. or it's like you know that you're going to be a huge burden and possibly ruin the lives of people around you, but you just need help. And if they're going to help you, then okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so there's Are not we really... all in love with each other. What? <laughs> yeah, <Nothing>. apparently. <laughs> Plot twist. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, people should read Fault in Our Stars. We talked about it too much, and we're not probably ever going to do an episode on it, but oh, it's a yeah. good book. Yeah, I'm so pretty good. sure if anyone's listening to this, they've <laughs> at some point read or watched the Fault in Our yeah, Stars. Yeah, not if Cameron's listening to this. Hello, Cameron. Are you listening to this? Hi. You haven't. Go do that. Anyway, um, so anything left to say about this guy other than we're interested to see where he's going? 
I one thing I want to say about him, which is less about him and more about the plot structure. Sure. I wish that he had been introduced fifty uh, percent earlier. Yeah, it was a little bit rushed. Yeah, well, I mean, it wasn't even rushed like introducing him. I just mm. he's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I care. I've had so much trouble getting through the first part of this book. Like, I mean, it's not been that hard. It's not like it's a hard read, but I just have other things vying for my attention right mm. now in life. And so a book that can steal me away from everything else that's important, that's yeah. a good book. That's a fair this point. This book has not done it so far. Yeah. Um, but with Max coming into the picture, I have a feeling that it's going to start to do that. Exactly. So I it's, kind of wish that he came a little bit sooner. It's a book that flows pretty well, but doesn't necessarily grab you back to it once mm -hmm. you stepped away. It's kind of like... I think it's just a long intro, though. I think yeah. by the time we get halfway through, I'm not going to be able to put it down. Yeah, absolutely. It's just the and old, I, like... I yeah, would probably you, you, list childhood intros as, like, one of my least favorite tropes in books. I mean, I understand, you know, you start with someone's childhood... But Stephen, I totally agree with you that they can feel very monotonous and similar, even in a even from fantastic authors or fantastic writing. We we talked about Patrick or fantastical Rothfuss. worlds where it's like, mm -hmm. yeah. what do you mean this guy lives on a dragon farm and he has wings and it's like, well, he's he's still his uncle died, so it doesn't matter. It's just, it's, <laughs> yeah, that was like a knock at Aragon almost exactly. It really did. Aragon didn't have wings. That's a fair point. Come his on, dragon did. Yeah. Um, all right. Were there any standout like side characters that you guys remember that I didn't cover here? Anyone you want to talk about? Not really. <laughs> I mean, I think that Liesel's mother is a bit of an interesting oh, uh, yeah. character because not foster mother. <laughs> no, her actual biological, as far as we know, mother. Mm -hmm. Um, in the sense that she was protecting Liesel and everything, and since Liesel, Liesel was so young. And the book was so esoteric at that point, we didn't really get a good glimpse at her as a person. Mm -hmm. But you just wonder, like, mm -hmm. how much, how hard was this decision for her? How long had she been knowing that she would have to do it? Um, did, was she even planning to, you know, did she know that her son was sick? He must have been sick if he just up and died on the, or at least extremely, like, starving or whatever on the train like i just wonder about where she was in this whole position right. i mean what kind of a mother she was that's something i like about the storytelling though because since we're seeing it from liesel's point of view and she doesn't know she's struggling with all those questions and i like the fact that we can struggle with her yes that's very good point. really cool yeah um i totally agree with all of that so that covers the cast i actually think we got a lot of discussion about the book in general through just kind of introducing the characters um so, I mean, that, I think, is pretty good for our first part for this book. Is there anything Absolutely. in terms of the broader story you guys wanted to cover or talk about that we didn't happen to get to um, just discussing the characters? Not much has happened so far. Exactly. So. Yeah. We kind of <laughs> summed that up just saying, like, there's no interesting plot development, which is why there's I think... There's really not. Maybe going... Except... Yeah, go ahead. I mean, I would say the only... The plot developments we've found so far um, are Max buying Mein Kampf, and, I'm sorry, Hans buying Mein Kampf and then Max showing up at right. number 33. The fact that Max and that had Mein Kampf, right at the end. is that connected at all? Um, he, I mean... Everyone has Mein Kampf. Everyone I know. has Mein Kampf. <laughs> That's kind of my thought. My thought is, well, if he has Mein Kampf on him, he's trying to act like a German. Oh, yeah. And he's obviously hiding his things in the copy of the book. Oh. Uh, which is yeah. interesting. 
So, mm-hmm. I mean, I have a feeling it's just a protection thing, but yeah. maybe it's something else. I don't know. know. I just didn't know if, like, Han sent him that copy of Mein Kampf, but I, I don't no, no. know. I mean, they're going to be connected. They'd yeah. obviously made a point to say that they both had it. Yeah, exactly. So so we'll see where that goes. But, uh, yeah, I agree with you that I think maybe even going in the forward is, like we've said, in most books, Act 1 is really slow. So it might be helpful for us, you know, to typically in Act 1 of our podcasts, you know, focus our time on, on introducing all the cast and talking about them because that's typically the most interesting thing you have going on mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. during a book's first act so yeah that makes a lot of sense um steven nothing from you or anything you wanted to talk about um i nothing we haven't already talked about exactly. i'm i'm looking forward to seeing what comes uh what comes up next if it's just going to be more of the same it's going to be tough to get all, all the way to the end yeah i mean um, i think the and worry... i just go ahead and just to finish that thought i yeah. think we need death to play some kind of interactive mm-hmm. role in this story i need to hear him tell me what color the sky is for crying out loud well, if i remember correctly um and that's difficult because again he he isn't there for any of this which is probably a large reason his prose is starting to uh yeah he's writing the whole book he's always there right um but i'm trying to think in the beginning you know he out outlined the three times he saw her um and we haven't gotten to the next two yet so maybe one of those is coming up and that's will be a big turning point for the mm-hmm. story how much do you want to bet either the second time he saw her is because he's taking away hans so okay and the second time it's a plane crash um plane crash okay yeah we'll have to go back what were the three times that he saw her? So the first time was when her brother died the second time was a plane crash and the third was like a red sky like i think it was a village after a battle or, okay. or the war came there that could be right. I have a feeling he's going to see her once each act. I agree. I agree. Uh, and I think the second End time, of act yeah. two is going to be the second time. The plane crash could three. be Hans dying on the plane crash. Totally could. Could be. <laughs> um, so we will see. I mean, we have it out for Hans, as you can tell. <laughs> we just have a mark for death. <laughs> Well, I mean, um, he, he's, the he's nice. Character he has to go. Who is getting involved in like Jew rescuing and he doesn't like Hitler. Yeah, a pretty big target. His days are really, oh, painting. Ha. Huh? Because <laughs> he's a painter. Okay. Nice. Sorry. Yep. That, that'll do it. That's We're not going to reach that high again on this mm-hmm. podcast. So. That's it. That was That's the best part. Go ahead. Uh, let's uh, finish things out here. Uh, so, yeah. Next time. Oh, man. I should have gotten the exact page numbers foolish me um for what we're reading next time you know i'll go ahead and just edit those in at the end because i don't want to find those right now um but yeah i'll give you it's going to be the next uh third of the book which i will have to go and parcel out real quick hello this is future brian i did my homework and we are going to be reading parts four through six um that is all carry on with the show have a good time have a good life have a good new year uh yeah bye um and we'll be reading that, but that will be two weeks from, from today. Next week is going to be another bookmark episode where we just talk about whatever the heck we want to. Um, and yeah, that's this has been fun. Thank you both for joining me. You're welcome. My pleasure. Uh, and anyone who's interested in following us further, you can find us on Twitter at For the Love of Books. You can email us at For the Love of Books. It, sorry, this is old stuff. <laughs> I was about to say it was. I, it was just in my show notes. I do not notes. think that word means what you think it means. This is just in my show notes. You know, you know, Stephen. We changed the name like the day before we recorded our first episode, and I may have you know not had time to update all of my notes. <laughs> uh, but luckily, it's pretty easy to to change the notes. If you want to follow us on Twitter, go to Third Person Show. 
Uh, if you want to email us, email us at thirdpersonshow at gmail.com. Uh, we're at whalesarewhales.com slash thirdperson. Um, you can find us there on our, our website. And finally, we are on iTunes now, which we weren't when we released the first episode. Um, so go there. Leave us a review that you think is befitting. Hopefully five stars. But if it's one star, I mean, come on, be honest. Um, also, for all you uh, non-Apple people out there, if whatever podcast collector you use connects to iTunes in any way, it'll also be there. For instance, I use Podcast Republic and was able to find the show. So definitely give it a look. Absolutely. And that's a great point. Um, if you're listening to us somewhere else but want to have it on a certain uh, service and we're not there, let us know and we can see about submitting to that service because we don't necessarily know all of them. Uh, yeah, so this show is a part of the Whales or Whales Network. Check out whalesorwhales.com for other shows like this with other people like us. Did you like our Whales or Whales spot that we play at the beginning of shows now? Oh, yeah, I do. I hope people listening do. Yeah, we put that I together. I heard it. Abigail, homework. I know. I gotta go listen to my own show. Meh. <laughs> yeah, it's, I pretty much never do until I started editing them. I would always like, uh, we would record an episode and Steve would do some weird editing trick and he'd be like, you need to go listen to it. And I'm like, okay. And then I never did. And I feel bad about that. <laughs> so I apologize, Stephen. Now I know what it feels like to put work into something and have my co-hosts ignore it. Well, uh, it's on a different scale. Like you didn't listen to the entire documentary, like hour long documentary put together. And that was just rude. <laughs> I did. I've listened to that. Like, oh, I thought it just took you like half a year to do it. Twice. I don't remember. It okay. might have, but it was great. This is the best outro I've ever heard. Just the uh, show. <laughs> it is the co-host <laughs> arguing about behind the scenes stuff. <laughs> uh, we're so professional. It's so engaging. Your audience will know exactly what you're talking about. Exactly. The documentary we made for a completely different show. <laughs> oh, man. I'm a horrible uh, co-host. This should just be second person. I'm no. leaving. <laughs> That, uh, just for people who want to know, that documentary was for uh, Disembodied Voices, which is our video game podcast that we're just actually shutting down and going to put up our uh, last episode for this month. So if you want to go check that out and see it end, just because you like like to watch things crash and burn, feel free. If you're reading the book, they came in. Exactly. So yeah, uh, that's that's all right now on Whales or Whales. If you want to see what's going on, we've got this. We've got a lot of every week we're posting an episode of Train Station at Eight, which is our video game music podcast. Um, and we are running a interesting series right now with our web comic, a weird web comic. We're doing a Christmas series um, that's been a lot of fun to put together. So check that out because it's definitely interesting. I do a really good job of selling our work. <laughs> All right. Well, okay, everyone. This has been great. Now I'm going to go with a better outro than last time because I think everyone pretty much hated last time's outro. So this time I'm going to go ahead and say keep enjoying reading things that are words. Now that was really catchy. Like I want that could be on the t-shirt.